0: What's going on, everybody? You got Javen and Anna here, and you are listening to STL by Design, brought to you by AIGA St. Louis.
1: And if you're joining us for the first time, we are your co-hosts, and our intent with this show is to highlight any efforts in St. Louis at the intersection of creativity and positive impact.
0: That's right, and since, at least for the last, you know, year and some change, we've been able to do our interviews in person these days... that may or may not change after a little while, today (laughs) we've got a new approach that we're going to continue to streamline accessibility, and that is Instagram TV. So if you want to hear the full episode, tap on that little fancy icon in the corner while the music by an artist named Critical, might I add, plays.
1: This week, we'll be talking with Gavin and Jack of Kairos Academy. Uh, Kairos is a free public charter school serving 6th to 12th graders in the St. Louis area. They are rethinking education for the 21st century, personalizing learning, empowering students' self-direction, and nurturing restorative justice within a diverse by design student body. So thank you guys for joining us today. We're excited to talk to you.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for having us.
1: Yeah, we've known about Kairos for a while, um, so it'll be good to actually hear from your perspective what it's all about and how it got started and all the thought behind it.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to jump in, and just as a plug to any you know parents out there, we're actually enrolling for the fifth through um, through eighth grades for this coming year. So we've got to get that off um, right in the beginning here, but happy to dive in. Very excited. Excellent. Well. I guess, to to start off, can you tell us a little bit about how Cairo started and
1: what made you feel like this was the type of education that St. Louis needed?
0: Yeah, I can start out with that and then I'll have Gavin kind of jump in um, wherever I miss important details. So um, Cairo started first as sort of a concept um, in Gavin's senior thesis um, when he was in the Yale Education Studies program. Um, the core ideas from that have really come through, but obviously intersected with our experiences as teachers here in St. Louis. So Gavin, um, was an English teacher, um, at Jennings high school. I taught math, um, at Normandy high school. Um, and, you know, Gavin and I met through the teach for America program and, and saw pretty early how some of the ideas that Gavin had been exploring, um, were really necessary in our classrooms. So things we, we saw were, you know, large groups of students in classrooms who were in at very different readiness levels for material, right? We saw schools where um, kids were told kind of every second of every day what to do, who to work with, whether they could talk, if they could use the restroom. This is not unique to Normandy and Jennings. It's, you know, it's pretty universal. Um, right. in education, um, especially here in St. Louis. Um, and we saw a real focus on rote memorization, rote learning, um, and not the kinds of rich, collaborative, hands-on, project-based work that we think prepares people for the reality of the 21st century. And so um, talking with Gavin, hearing those ideas, seeing them intersect with the reality of our classroom and what students needed, um, you know, we decided um, after a couple years teaching that St. Louis needed something different, that we needed a school that was ready to prepare kids for the reality of the twenty first century. and that meant, you know, practicing making choices for themselves. Um, it meant personalizing learning to meet students where they are um, and allow them to move at the pace that's right for them through the material. Um, and it meant giving them the opportunity to practice those meaty problems, those meaty projects um, that I think are, again, so critical to preparing kids for the reality of what work looks like today. You don't just learn stuff just to learn it, right? You learn it because you want to apply it to a meaningful um, personal or professional project. And so um, those ideas started coming together. um, And, you know, we spent, I'd say, the better part of three or four years writing our charter application, seeking approval from a a state sponsoring agency um, were approved in 2018. That would have been 2018 um, and then launched in fall of 2019 with 120 intrepid, you know, sixth grade families ready to try to do something different in St. Louis education. So now we're going to be a school this coming year serving fifth through eighth grades, 430 students total. And um, that's kind of the, you know, the crib trajectory of um, or potted trajectory of how we got um, to where we are today.
2: Yeah. So let's jump in. You know, the mission of Kairos is to empower students to direct their own lives and learning. Uh, and the real base of that is um, this development of executive functioning skills, uh, which Jack and I went through college um, and then, you know, the 21st century gig economy on the other side realized was the um, the single, like the deal breaker between our success and failure and also the, uh, the kids and, and then the young adults around us who were... Um, successful because they could manage their time, they could uh, collaborate using Google Drive and Google Docs, they could make a plan for a project that was due a month and a half out and then reverse engineer the action items and hold themselves accountable for it. <laughs> All those different um, skills weren't academic content in particular, but they were about um, basically the, the nuts and bolts of independence and self-direction. Uh, And so we saw that ourselves. Then we went into an education system, which uh, like Jack mentioned, I studied in college. And so I knew from history, but anyone does a cursory look uh, can see was designed for an industrial era um, society and economy uh, where people were basically going to factory jobs and told uh, what to do every minute of the day. And so it's like very strong control and compliance mindset. Uh, And then we saw a lot of the kids we taught get to college and struggle because if no one told them to go to class, they just didn't. Or if no one told them, here's how you break down this test and this homework assignment into small little chunks and and sit in this room and do it at this time, um, they didn't know how to make those decisions. So we saw kids we cared about struggle. Uh, And then, you know, if you asked any teacher, educator, um, wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't it be successful if you were just like to throw out... The traditional model and reimagine school from the ground up um you know they would jump at that opportunity and so we said can't we do that uh we got the best educators we knew around to come basically brainstorm uh on a blank piece of paper what could a new model for school look like that would uh set kids up to be successful not in an industrial era factory model but in uh, the world that they were going to inherit right in the economy of their lifetime
1: Yeah, that, I mean, I'm thinking like, just as you're talking, you know, our, our background is in art school and like art based things and liberal arts. Um, But my education, I've been really fortunate that my education has been really driven by thinking about problems and conceptualizing and having to um, really strengthen problem solving skills and like the amount that that has been helpful through my life is invaluable, but I will never remember, you know, trigonometry, like, the, it's just one of those things where you're right. And, and you're obviously really good at putting it into words, because that's what you studied. But it is like we, we teach in the way in which we are used to living. And now I think people have become a lot more Um, or the workforce has become a lot more forward thinking. I think we're trying to kind of carve our own paths within our careers. We're having to do a lot more critical thinking in ways in which I don't think has been really done as much in the past, at least um, on the work front. And so having to adjust learning in order to kind of accommodate that and make sure that people are successful, it's really important. So it's awesome that um, it's awesome that there's, like, history in there that is um, that you can talk about. And, like, because I, I have no idea about – I had no idea about that. Um, it's cool to hear about how that has evolved in a in a very um, kind of literal way. It's like, yes, we were kind of in the industrial era, and now we're moving probably away from that a little bit more. And so how do we catch up with that? And it's hard to do within existing, probably, systems.
2: Yeah, well, I just want to jump in because they are basically the- – America and and many of our listeners have um, uh, a conception of what school is. What's kind of called the cultural script of school, um, and it's schools really um, homogenous around the world today because of America's influence. So there's like public education wasn't a thing until the mid 19th century. Um, people couldn't afford it. Society hadn't set it up. It wasn't a, an expectation. Um, mid 19th century kind of starts with some schools for some people um some people believe this is like an opportunity to develop your morality then early 20th century factory era comes um it becomes a way to socialize uh, kids through basically middle school um for factory work high school wasn't a thing at the time it wasn't a thing for anyone who wasn't going to go to you know a prep school and then elite college um sort of like the the children the sons of the factory owners um, and then after World War II, America just rebuilt most of the industrialized world in our image. And so this idea of a teacher in front of our classroom, a classroom, kids sitting in rows, uh, blackboard, um, that then popped up in Germany. That popped up in most of Western Europe. Uh, later, it popped up in a lot of Asia and like Vietnam. After, again, we went, destroyed a lot of stuff and then rebuilt it using our um our conception and so the the model and expectation of what school can and should be um, has been exported in a way that uh has really limited diversity of design um and so this is something like you know it's it's hard to imagine what would it look like if kids moved at their own pace through material without a teacher in the front of the room like is that even possible is that allowed could they possibly learn that way
0: yeah and this sounds um I'll just add like a, a piece of evidence or backup to that. It sounds almost conspiratorial to say, oh, they were designing these schools just to prepare kids to follow orders and do what they were told as factory workers. There was actually a superintendent of public schools here in St. Louis um, in the late 1800s, William Tory Harris, who later became um, the US commissioner of education. Um, and that he defined had, had theories on education, defined it pretty clearly um, he said that, you know, ideally 99 out of 100 students are automata, careful to walk in a prescribed path, careful to follow the prescribed custom, um, that this is not an accident, but a result of, of, of you know, what is scientifically defined as substantial education. So I might be butchering that quote like a little bit. That's pretty I think, close. Yeah. I think I got pretty close. Um, and it's it is interesting to hear someone say that and then to not have pushback from society, something that maybe seems so egregious or affrontive to us now. Yeah. I mean, it's also like,
2: it's not like it was super evil, right? People were trying to do good things for a a group of people at the time who had had no education, right? Mm -hmm. There was nothing available. Uh, And then now they're introducing schools for the first time. And then if you think that, uh, you know, traditional districts are a monopoly, it just, it limits the opportunity to experiment um, because they can't, you know, you have one way of doing things. And so this, this, uh, every district does things the you know, safe way, and you don't uh, allow for an oper- for basically different market entrants to um, offer a diversity of models that might serve a diversity of different kids because kids have differentiated needs.
0: Yeah, and there's one more thing that I would add to this, um, which is not just that schools today still look largely like they did 100 years ago structurally. It's that who gets to attend which schools um, is is largely identical to what it was 100 years ago, right? If you look around St. Louis, if you look around most cities in the United States, um, you see that schools are almost as segregated as they were 100 years ago, right? And um, part of our mission is also recognizing that the world is a diverse place. And part of preparing people for that real world is making sure that they build cultural competence, make sure making sure that they... Um, know how to learn and work across lines of difference and ultimately um, helping them grow their their intellectual capacities by, um, you know, exposing folks to different perspectives. When we do that, you know, our minds grow, um, our horizons grow rather, and our minds um, really sharpen. And so um, we're an intentionally diverse school, which is something worth um, mentioning here, which to us means that our goal is to have no majority racial group in the building, to have a real range of incomes in the building. Um, And we think this goes hand in hand with the entire project of rethinking the way that an antiquated model um, needs to adjust to the 21st century.
1: So, a lot, hold on, I'm I'm unpacking. Um, (laughs) I wonder if some of the difficulty and like the pushback and uh, again, I know nothing about the subject. So this is all very enlightening, but I know that like when I was in high school and even talking to people that were in high school, when I started college and, and talking to educators now that, um, I'm old enough that my friends are teachers just about the hyper focus of the education had become, although it sounds like it kind of started this way. Um, all about the quantifiable data. It's all about You know, the test scores. It's all about what we can do to prove that these students are smarter, that these students are succeeding within this, you know, within this paradigm. And how difficult it is to then come through and say, we want to do a model in which it doesn't matter if this student is succeeding at the expected level that they're supposed to be based on all of these preconceived notions, we it's more about, you know, the quality over the quantity or over that that amount, and so trying to fight through that system of, like, we have to have the information, we have to have the data, they have to pass the test to get into the college that gets them the job, and that, getting locked into that and, and trying to push through.
2: Yeah, I mean, so um, I would characterize it a little bit differently, because Uh, I think what you're hitting on is that, um, absolute measures are not as important as students growing to their potential. And that's exactly how we think about it, right? We're, we are, um, taking kids who are entering Kairos many, many grade levels behind in reading and math. And what we're aiming to do is grow them in an accelerated way so that, uh, they can graduate here with, um, all the, you know, Kairos is, um, ancient Greek for opportunity or, or, uh, the opportune moment. And so we want kids to graduate with every possible opportunity available to them. And then we give them the, the self-direction skills to actually make those choices in an informed way. So, um, so you're right. Like we don't care, you know, test scores themselves are not a make or break. Um, they are one piece of data. Uh, and that data helps us triangulate, you know, our kids learning. Um, if a kid is not, uh, passing a standardized test or a state test. um, That's an indication that they, I mean, what it tells you is that they can't um, identify the right answer uh, from a written question that covers a certain topic. Um, And that's useful information for, for what it's worth, right? It doesn't tell you, can they um, do like ambiguous, complex problem solving or work on long projects or uh, regulate their emotions. We have other ways um, to uh, measure and assess that. So can a kid, do a multiplication, problem like that matters. That's why standardized tests matter because that, that actually does matter. It's just not the only thing that matters. Um, we think that anything that matters, uh, we want to see success on, and and it's not, we can't know we're being successful unless we have success criteria um, and a way to measure that. Uh, and the last thing I'd say is, um, one of the challenges before, uh, you know, you talked about, um. You know, many of your teacher friends when you're growing up, uh, there's this huge focus on test scores. One of the challenges before charter schools or or in a a not charter market is that the state needs to unilaterally decide what makes a good education. Um, And the state has really limited ability to uh, get data on that, right? Like they can't be in every school. They don't hear what a kid says when they go home. Um, they can't see if a kid's happy or not. And so they're required to do this stuff that they can only measure in an objective way, which is like a, like you mentioned, a very limited slice of what matters. Um, the cool thing is that we don't see ourselves as beholden. I mean, technically we are beholden to the state, but that's not really our market. Like we're selling ourselves to parents. And by selling, I mean, that's who we aim to please. That's who we serve, parents and kids. And so... Um, Parents get to make a decision, is Kairos good or not? And they make that based on a holistic impression, which includes test scores, for sure, because that's part of what matters, but also a whole range of other, uh, other factors of what a school can be, right? Because we know humans are organisms, and when they grow, they need to have other, you know, nutrients to go to the organism, garden metaphor, other nutrients besides just, um, just the stuff that gets to good test scores.
0: Yeah, and maybe just to add some, um language that we can use throughout this conversation to talk about those like different kinds of skill sets is that we think the the traditional education system focuses almost exclusively on what you might call objective content knowledge or procedural fluency, right? So the kind of thing you can measure with a multiple choice Um, answer question. And that is important. That's something we think is really important that kids learn at especially a personalized pace at the right pace for them, and that they don't move on from that material until they master it, right, that this stuff is kind of like building blocks. I mean, every subject has that objective content. But on top of that is 70% of what students do here Um, which is around their higher order cognitive skills and what you might call sort of creativity or critical thinking. They've actually been codified into 35 skills, I think it's 35, by the Stanford School of Education and built into our Project-based curriculum for kids, so that we're looking at things like um, modeling. Can you take a complex idea from the real world and create a simple example of it? Oral presentation, right? Um, citing effective evidence. All of these things, you know, the degree to which a student does this well is is subjective to a certain extent, and definitely not. Um, not accessible by a standardized test and then there's this whole other sort of universe of holistic skills that people broadly call social and emotional skills we would probably break that up into two categories one which is executive functioning that gavin has already mentioned and these are you know more organizational or tactical in nature can you set good goals can you um set out a calendar for yourself can you chunk goals down into small pieces can you it's it's the how you get things done in the world um and how you set the goals around those and then the final group is more um sort of emotional or or identity based in nature so like do you feel that you have self-efficacy? Do you think you can succeed in your different classes? How, how do you um, adopt a, a growth mindset? Something that says, I know that even though something's hard now, I can learn and grow over time. Um, and and what's, your, what's your concept of yourself and the person that you are in the world? And so we think the traditional education system focuses on one of that objective content. We're trying to, to focus on all of those things And to Gavin's point, all of those things are what parents care about. And so if we keep parents at the center of what we do, um, we're gonna make sure we're centering a holistic education for our kids.